Hello, you're listening to an episode of Shadow Talk, the weekly threat intelligence podcast that unpacks the latest stories impacting the industry. We have a packed agenda today, and on this episode, I'm lucky to be joined by analysts Demelza, Pietro, and Adam. So thank you all for joining me. How are you all? Hello, Victoria. I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. It's nice to have Pietro. So yeah, Pietro, this is your first sort of debut on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's lovely to, to be on this podcast finally. And I hope <laughs> I can make some uh, valuable contributions. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, we're going to kind of just dive straight in. And we're going to kind of just start with a story that actually happened last week. So we're going to just dive into the, the breach that impacted EasyJet, which was, I believe, re- reported on the, tw- on the 20th of May. So that was just over a week ago. Um, but I think, as we will find out once we go through the story, that it does have uh, a life that before that date. So, yeah, Demelza, I was just wondering if you could just talk us through what, has, what happened, I guess, with EasyJet. Sure thing. Um, so like the whole aviation sector, EasyJet is facing huge challenges right now. But, and, and on the 19th, 20th of May, EasyJet announced um, that their investigation found um, that a highly sophisticated attack had led to 19 million customers having their personal data leaked, including 2,000 sets of credit card details. Um, EasyJet state that they have complied with, um, with all um, regulation and they informed the National Cybersecurity Centre and the ICO immediately and closed off all access to the exposure once they became aware of it. Um, in their, their initial press release they said that the 2,000 customers whose car details were exposed had been informed but the, the, uh, the remaining customers whose um, email addresses and travel itineraries were exposed hadn't yet been informed. Um, so this is the issue that's been picked up by a law firm in terms of data protection but there's been a huge amount of misinformation circulating about this case. It hasn't been confirmed when the breach actually occurred, and it also hasn't been confirmed which uh, vulnerabilities were exploited. Um, here, at, here at Digital Shadows, we found some open source customer testimony that they were contacted as early as beginning of April, um, but some press outlets have been claiming that it was as early as January. But again, a lot of these sources can't be trusted at this stage. Um, we know a lot less than we'd like to. Is that the YouTube video that you're talking about? That is indeed, yes. Yeah. So a customer um, has um, shared screenshots of an email they received on the 2nd of April, I believe, saying that their data had been compromised. Um, we've seen a few different cases of this across social media. So, of course, we can't tell if these can be verified or not. It's quite easy to Photoshop these, um, these type of claims, but it's definitely an interesting one. Um, yes, yeah, so I, think, I think the key case here is everyone is really keen to establish exactly when the breach occurred and the uh, length of time um, between the authorities and customers being informed. Yeah, I think there's a few things that are like, well, for once, for one, it happened just over a week ago. And in that time, I was kind of hoping more details would come out, but we're still kind of in the dark in that sense. Um, I actually received an email informing me that I had been involved in in the attack. Um, And so immediately I was like, right, I'm going to change my password. And I mean, that should be the case for every other person who's involved. So I guess, yeah, for customers who aren't like um, as mature, I guess, in their cyber knowledge, that is something that needs to be kind of emphasized to people who may be a victim of it. And then the other thing I think is kind of worth questioning and that we still can't answer is the the sophistication kind of angle, like the um, chief executive came out and let me just find the quote, I think he said, 
Um, we take cybersecurity of our systems very seriously. We have robust security measures in place to protect the customer's personal information. And then went on to say, um, as cyber attackers get ever more sophisticated. And I think that word sophisticated is quite interesting because it's like, are we just going to, are we, can we say that word? And, and I guess it's hard for us as um, observers or people to kind of analyze this in more detail, whether it was sophisticated, to what extent was it sophisticated? So yeah, I guess just some areas that's still unknown, but hopefully we can still watch this as it goes on. But I guess other things on top of that, they seem to have a lot on their plate. Like today, I just saw that they had announced more cuts. Um, on top of that, it's COVID-19 is impacting the industry like massively. So I do kind of wonder if this period would perhaps allow companies um, not to, I guess, escape scrutiny, but if it may, I guess, I don't know, allow them to bypass some, not even bypass, but just get, maybe get away. I don't know what the, top, the phrasing is there, but it's, yeah, this period will just maybe kind of change the, the attitudes, I guess, from, from that perspective. So yeah, one thing to kind of just think about on my side. Yeah, definitely. I think um, as obviously we're in the cyber field, that's the um, the angle that we're coming at this from. But I know that a lot of customers will be worried about this, but it is an interesting one because at a time when I think 90% of their staff are furloughed um, and the business is still costing tens of millions of pounds a week to run, um, it's an interesting question um, about whether this is the right time for law firms to be going after, D after a GDPR regulations. Um, yeah, there's definitely a business case to be made about about whether that's appropriate in terms of um, potential job losses and I guess overall insecurity because of COVID. So it's definitely a really interesting question. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, is that everything? Anything else anyone wants to add? Uh, yeah, I also saw they, there is a, a class action lawsuit against them, which is just you know adding, adding fuel to the fire. Um, so GDPR and class action lawsuit uh, is going to be not a very fun thing for EasyJet to deal with. Uh, and I really hope that they manage to get through this period. Yeah. I know, I know. And also, I guess, you know, even when you're the end customer, you kind of want these airlines to get through it as well, because at the end of the day, we all want a holiday after this in some way. So, Especially you, Victoria. <laughs> Priority. <laughs> Globe tr Globetrotter you. I don't have this one joke about me that I seem to have taken most of my holiday one summer, so he thinks I take way more holiday than anyone else. But every time I see you, every time I see you in the office, you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm off next week, so let's you know, let's catch up or let's have lunch now." Not anymore. <laughs> the law firm um, that have come out first would actually stand to make, I think, five billion if they won their case, um, which is a crippling amount of money. Um, for any company, yes, yeah, so I think it's definitely going to be one to watch. But looking at, um, at British Airways and their GDPR fine, um, that's still kind of in the reeds, um, kind of going through legal procedures. And that was a 2018 breach. So this could be kind of quite a long process. Everyone's keep an eye on. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, kind of uh, moving on, we have news this week that the Collection One hacker was um, identified and actually arrested. Um, so in this sense, we actually have a breach that has a happy ending. Um, and I was wondering if Adam could kind of just recap actually on Collection One, because a few months ago that was seen as quite a big breach. And then we'll just dive into um, what actually happened with the hacker. 
given that the data has been breached, I wouldn't necessarily call it a happy ending, but more more than happy myself to, to go over it for you. So um, yeah, this was big news back in January 2019 when media outlets began to report on what they were calling at the time a mega breach, exposing hundreds of millions of usernames and passwords, which at the time was considered to be the largest breach ever to occur. However, researchers were quick to point out that it was mainly made up of old data that had likely been compiled from historic uh, public breaches and other repositories of that nature. Nice. And I think a few um, following the breach, it, uh, the hacker was identified as, as Sanix, if I have that right. So I was just wondering, do we, do we have details about the hacker then? And then I guess we can look at, we can compare that to what we know about them now. I don't, I don't think there was a great deal other than you know directly afterwards or in the in the time after that collection one uh, kind of became a big thing it appeared that this threat actor was offering even more data sets so there were another four collection sets up to number five so collections one through five and i don't think this threat actor was alone either there were others that were seemingly ready to capitalize on any opportunity to profit from selling this data and I think there were even a few kind of disagreements between forum users as to who was responsible, who had the rights, who needed props uh, on the underground cyber criminal market for, for selling the data, et cetera. But I think as it came to pass and as researchers started to realize that it wasn't maybe as big a deal as first thought, much of the forum community was kind of unimpressed, um, whereas the media had been jumping all over it at the time. Yeah, to go, so from like what we know now and the story that's you know now come to pass is that we think this threat actor was quite keen to show off their other offerings in in that time that's elapsed since January 2019 um, and it appears that they've left a rather long trail of pretty obvious clues as to their real life identity which recent reporting suggests or tells us that there's now led to their arrest. I guess in terms of like, the, how are they able to track the um, the hacker? I guess there's quite a few details in a press release that have come out about that, which is what I find quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So while most cyber criminals and underground forum users invest significant time and effort into covering their tracks, it seems that law enforcement in this case were able to track this individual via certain email inboxes, pin codes, think some e-wallets for cryptocurrency and PayPal accounts as well. And I think some security vendors also reported that the actor has been selling remote accesses and botnet services as well. So Ukrainian authorities reportedly discovered a bunch of incriminating bits and pieces at the threat actor's home, including terabytes of other stolen data and thousands in, in cash from supposedly illegal transactions, etc. Is there anything else that we would like to add? kind of wonder how many threat actors would be this obvious in terms of leading breadcrumbs um i'm not sure whether this 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 um this kind of, this kind of happy ending in inverted commas um could actually be replicated that often um i think it takes a certain type of actor yeah that is this prolific and is keen to be this i guess to be seen to be this active um i'm not sure if if more professional outfits would have allowed this to happen well that segues quite nicely into you wanted to talk about fin7 victoria right yeah absolutely yeah you're you're right there so 
in terms of another story that uh, a hacker, a, well, a collection of people who have been identified with the group Fin7. So this week it was revealed that one of the um, authorities had recently arrested an, an alleged member of the prolific hacking group known as Fin7, as I said. So actually in, in April, we spoke about them on this podcast on Shadow Talk. And we had discussed that their latest activity involved them delivering malware via USBs, which at the time was deemed quite sophisticated and unusual, given that it had differed from new traditional cyber activity. And then actually I was digging into Fin7 more broadly and discovered that in 2018, two other individuals had been arrested. So this week it was revealed that another member of that group has been arrested linked to Fin7. Um, but yeah, I guess in terms of their activity, it might be good to kind of just recap who Fin7 are and then I guess, yeah, what happened to them this week. Sure thing. Yeah. So Fin7 are what we would describe in reports as an OCG, so organized criminal group who are financially motivated and have primarily gone after the retail and hospitality sectors, given that they are big fans of point of sale malware in their attacks. And that was an interesting story, actually, wasn't it? I kind of forgotten about that uh, before you sent through the agenda today with the USBs posted to victims and the hand-signed letters as well. So, yeah, that, that was a fun one. Um, but, yeah, anyway, the, uh, it looks like an alleged member of the group has been arrested, another Ukrainian national, although I imagine the hunt for this individual, as, De as Demi just alluded to, is slightly more complex than the one for the actor behind Collection 1. You know, Fin7 are an organized outfit. They have their own IT administrators and they use fake pen testing companies to launder stolen funds through. So it would appear, I think, from, from the reports that I read that this individual had to give his real name at some point down the line so that, you know, he could receive his share of whatever profits Fin7 have been making. And I think that's how the arrest kind of came about. Uh, but you're right, yeah, this isn't the first time a Fin7 uh, or an alleged Fin7 member has been arrested. The three other individuals in 2018 that you just mentioned. But, you know, despite all of that, the group are likely to remain active given the disparate nature of their deployment and roles in the group and so on. Yeah, I think it doesn't, I guess, necessarily always stop them in their track and it doesn't always stop this sort of activity continuing. Like, I mean, compared, like if we think about collection one breach, and the hack has been identified, it's not going to stop every breach in the world. But I mean, of course, it's a good step forward. So in that sense, it's it's nice to be able to cover this um, from, from that angle on, this, on the podcast. Do we have any details of how they were arrested, how they were found? Uh, or is that not, not uh, discussed in the report? The As in how they came to be arrested or how they were actually yeah so, so so to relate it to the previous story they the guy left a lot of trails uh whereas mm -hmm. in this case was it just that he get, had to give his name for a bank account at some point or was it i think more? i think so yeah i think you know law enforcement are doing a lot of tracking of these guys behind the scenes so you know it's there'll be layers unlike the one with the collection one i imagine there was a lot of layers between you know fin7 operations and this individual but I, I'm assuming that from given the fact that he had to put his name to something at some, you know, link in the chain, then that has probably led to, to the arrest. It's really interesting, like, 
you know, you, you're thinking, you're now, you're taking two opposite ends of the spectrum there, aren't you? You've got, you know, one kind of low level opportunistic hacker over here who's just compiling a load of old historic data breaches. And then you've got, you know, an alleged Fin7 member over here who are paying, you know, they're, they're running, they're running a business, you know what I mean? So it's like they're recruiting people, they're paying for their own IT, they're setting up fake companies that they can put their money through. So yeah, like Demi said, I imagine it was a bit more of a complex uh, investigation operation trying trying to get to him, but they're on it. You know, there's, there's, but in the same time, there's, there's differences there whereby you say the guy from collection one gets done, but they, at the time where collection one comes out, you've got forum users arguing over who's got the rights to it. So there'll always be someone else to pick up, pick the baton up as it were, just in the same way that fin seven are, you know, are likely to still, you know, remain in operation even when their members get arrested. So. So big up to the Ukrainian uh, law enforcement agencies. They've had a busy week. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Nice. Um, So the next story involves um, a new ransomware. I guess it's that, I don't know if I've said that right, but um, what I quite liked in particular about this was that um, I referenced, did the milkman deliver this week because it relates to the actual ransomware? So I was wondering if Adam could kind of just dig into the latest story around this. You should, uh, you should stick to hosting podcasts and, you know, stay away from the puns, Victoria. But yes, so this, this is an interesting story, which the Intel team here at Digital Shadows is using for this week's intelligence summary. Uh, last week, what appeared to be a hacktivist group inspired by the Anonymous Collective, given all the references to Anonymous on, the, on their Twitter feed, reportedly used a ransomware tool to target companies associated with alleged scamming activities. So it's almost a a vigilante hacktivist collective using ransomware for ideological purposes against other online fraudsters perceived to be scamming your average user, which presents an interesting uh, alteration in the use of such tools, right? We had a really good discussion on the last episode as to how the ransomware threat has changed since WannaCry. And this seems to be yet another variation in how we're seeing threat groups of varying motive and varying capability using these tools. Um, yeah, and I said, I said to you a while back, Victoria, that I, I was going to try and do like a lighthearted piece on alternative malware names, which never came to be. It remains a pipe dream for now, which I apologize for. But if it does come to pass, then this tool is definitely going to be a front runner. So yeah, the ransomware is called Milkman Victory. Uh, we're doing shout outs today, so shout out to any milkmen or women <laughs> listening to the podcast. And it was reportedly delivered to these alleged scammers via spear phishing emails. And it seems to be a new version or a variant that's uh, built on the hidden tear, customized version of the hidden tear ransomware, which first emerged in 2015. So loads of layers to that, loads of really like interesting nuances to how that affects the trend. Um, and anyone interested in the details of that story uh, and our take on it should definitely check out the Intel this week. This is amazing. Adam, have you seen um, examples of the actual spear phishing? Because I imagine it must have to be a seriously high quality example to scam a scammer. I haven't. I haven't seen, I haven't seen them themselves. I don't know if the uh, reporting actually detailed any of them. Um, but yes, I, I imagine so. Or, you know, alternatively, perhaps doesn't have to be the most sophisticated, you know, like 
if these, the, mm, I mean, it, I guess it depends. I think these are the ones they're going after are like loan scammers. So, you know, it's uh, it, perhaps they've been, you know, done by their own tactics. Um, but I don't know if that's been confirmed in the reporting. And I, it's an interesting point, actually. Yeah. It'd be a good question. I mean, for me, it sounds like a power complex. It's like vigilante hackers against scammers. It's like, oh, you scammers are not as good as we are. We're just going to try and use our tactics against you. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've been talking for like the last six months or so about how we really haven't seen much out of anonymous or other kind of big hacktivist collectives for a while now. Um, I've certainly been talking about a, a decline in, in trends in hacktivism in the reports and in, in discussion with clients, etc. So it's interesting. I mean, it's very difficult to make a direct connection between these guys and anonymous given that anonymous branding and messaging has been all over the internet for some years now. And I think there has been a lot of cases of like copycatting going on. But, you know, there's a there's a YouTube video to go with this one as well. These guys have got anonymous um, images and branding and messaging all over their stuff. So you never know. It's just a, it's just an interesting nuance. You know, we talked a lot about how ransomware is being used by different groups and targeting different sectors being used in kind of like um, extortion based, you know, ransomware extortion based uh, attacks. And now we're seeing, you know, a group, you know, ideologically motivated group who we wouldn't traditionally associate with these kind of tools going after other scammers uh, or other bad guys on the internet with, with the tools. So yeah, so it's an interesting one. And is it, is it a ransomware to ask for money back? Are they like, scamming the scammer getting the money giving it back to the scammed or is this like a sort of robin hood operation or is this just i think it's the latter yeah i think they destroying the scammers computers yeah so i think what we've been hesitant to like actually refer to it as ransomware so far this week because it doesn't look like they're asking for any money so obviously you know by definition ransomware is um encrypting files and you only get them back once the ransom is paid right but it doesn't seem like there is an encryption key available or that this group are intent on you know letting one letting one out anytime soon so again that's an interesting element it's just like are they capitalizing on the effectiveness of the tool to just destroy the files and cripple the the alleged loan scammers um because it doesn't seem like they are after any money at this point in time <laughs> so it's just pure pettiness then or like an assertion of dominance over the, over the landscape i love it or and don't quote me on this it's the return of anonymous and they're doing something completely different but that, i would i would give that with the lowest degree of certainty uh on the analyst uncertainty yardstick that i possibly could because i'm not sure that's quite what's going on but you never know awesome and so, yeah, the last story that we have this week is uh, relates to the iOS mail vulnerabilities. It's not one vulnerability, but it's actually two that impacted the mail application. So, yeah, Pietro, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about this. Certainly. Uh, it's a very interesting vulnerability that has been found by an American uh, uh, research company. And the way they got to it... Um, is by looking at crash logs and then replicating the crash logs uh, that they got off some of uh, their customers, uh, some of the people that are allegedly affected uh, by this vulnerability. 
and uh, the company uh, claims that uh, this uh, vulnerability has already been exploited and it would thus represent a zero day. So this is very notable because zero days in iOS are incredibly rare. Uh, so this would be a big deal. Uh, and the two vulnerabilities uh, work with each other uh, and can even get to the point to giving uh, the attacker full access to the device um, that is being attacked without any interaction uh, from the user itself. So it's a very uh, big vulnerability. But uh, the claims put out by the security research company Zekops have not been verified. Uh, so, um, and they say they're waiting for uh, the next uh, uh, patch to come out from Apple in order to put out the information. So at the moment, this is um, this is simply a claim by Zekops. Um, and uh, the, the two vulnerabilities are a heap overflow. So it's a bit like a buffer overflow, which essentially allows the, uh, the running of arbitrary code, uh, which is a, a big vulnerability. I'm just thinking though, like I use mail application and I wouldn't know about this as like a customer. So in, like in terms of that severity, and I guess if, if an update hasn't been pushed out through, I mean, has, has Apple responded to it Yeah. Uh, so Apple's response has been one of denial of the exploit itself. The vulnerability has been confirmed, uh, but the uh, ongoing discussion is whether or not the crash logs that were uh, used to create the report, whether or not those were in fact uh, evidence of a malicious intent or simply uh, a bug that caused the crash, uh, uh, a bug that uh, was sort of leveraging the vulnerability, but uh, was not a malicious attack. Um, so that is the that is the response, um, and uh, but the the mail app itself is vulnerable. Uh, so for the time being, I would recommend for people using the uh, iOS mail app to put that off until they update to the next iOS version. Uh, the patch is going to come out very soon. It's already been patched on the beta version of iOS. So we can expect to see a security patch coming out very soon. And Apple has always been very fast with these uh, types of updates. So we can expect that to, uh, we can expect to see that soon. Awesome, nice. Yeah. Well, I think that is a nice wrap up. I think to kind of just end things this week, we have um, some content produced by Digital Shadows this week um, and a webinar that's hosted by Alex and Casey over in the US. So the content of the webinar is the Dark Web Digest and they'll be uh, doing a deep dive or kind of an overview of valuable threat intelligence from cyber criminal forums, which is really cool. And um, supporting that, they've actually published a blog, which is out this week. And that will be on resources.digitalshadows.com. We've also referenced the InSum, so that is also available on resources.digitalshadows.com. And yeah, there's really interesting stories that we've covered this week. And you can read more about them on our website. So yeah, overall, really um, lots of things we kind of spoke about today. So it's been really awesome. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you, Victoria. And that is a wrap. <laughs>